Due to the graphic nature of this content, listener discretion is advised, as we will be talking about rape, murder, and various other things. As you know, we are continuing on with the John Wayne Gacy series. This will be part four of the podcast. So stay tuned, lay back, grab a drink, and hang out for a bit. All right? Bye. Hey guys, welcome back. We're continuing on with the murders that John Wayne Gacy committed. So, as you all know, listener discretion is highly advised. And, uh, so, so, you know, what the deal is, grab a drink, take a seat, read a book, and listen. So, as we all know, we covered Waterloo and Chicago and his political nuances. We're going to get on to the nitty-gritty, which are the murders. Remember, my dear ones, listener discretion is highly advised. Gacy murdered at least 33 young men and boys and buried 26 of them in the cross space of his house. Gacy usually lured a lone victim to his house, although on one or more than one occasion, Gacy also had called doubles. Two victims killed in one evening. Several victims were lured with the promise of a job with PDM. Others with offer of drink, drugs, or money for sex. So he was still soliciting um, young um, gay men. His victims included people he knew and random individuals he lured from Chicago's Greyhound bus station, Bug House Square, or simply off the streets. Some victims were grabbed by force, others conned into believing Gacy, who often carried a sheriff's badge and spotlights on his back, old, old black Oldsmobile, was a policeman. So he kind of like did a Bundy and impersonated a law enforcement officer. Um, as we tend to know some serial killers, uh, in order to lure their victims, they often played roles as uh, law officials or something else. Or in, in, t- in Bundy's case, he was uh, an injured person or a law enforcement officer, you know. But in Gacy's case, he impersonated an officer. Inside Gacy's home, uh, his usual modest operandi was to play, apply, um, supply the youth with um, drink, drugs, or generally gain his trust. He then he would proceed produce a. Uh, then to proceed to, uh, to produce a pair of handcuffs to show a magic trick sometimes as a part of the clown routine he typically typically cuffed his own hands behind his back then super uh, as uh, uh, pretentiously like you know released himself with a key which he hid between his fingers so he pretend he was cuffed he couldn't get out of it and he actually had the uh, cuff key within his hands and his fingers um where he released himself with the key and then offered to show the intended victim how to release himself from the handcuffs. With his victim uh, manacled and unable to free himself, Gacy then made a statement to the effect, well, the trick is you have to have the key. Gacy referred to the, this act of restraining his victim as the handcuff trick. So this was one of his, his ploys was to... Uh, liquor up the said victim and handcuff him try to show him a magic trick having restrained his victim gacy proceeded to rape and torture his captive he frequently began sitting on the victim's chest before forcing the victim to uh, fillet him so he forced the poor guy to blow him 
while sitting on his chest. So he was basically writing his face. Oh, shit. Um, he then inflicted acts of torture, including burning with cigars, making his captive imitate a horse as he sat on their back and pulled on a makeshift reins around their necks, and violation of foreign objects such as dildos and prescription bottles after he had sodomized his captive. To immobilize his captive's legs before engaging in acts of torture, Gacy frequently manacled their ankles by into a two by four with handcuffs attached to each end, an act inspired by the Houston mass murders. He is also known to have verbally taunted one of his, many of his victims throughout their continued abuse, and to have dri- dragged or forced several victims to crawl into his bathroom, where he partially drowned them and in the bathtub before repeatedly re- reviving them, enabling them uh, him to continue the prolonged assault. So he was kind of like a David Parker Ray when it came to the um, the violation of the of the bottom person's body by sticking foreign objects in the hole. So he was using dildos and he was using pill bottles, and you know, as right after he would do shit to them, and then he would stick those in there and like mess with them that way. However, David Parker Ray of him, maybe that's where he got it too. Who knows? Uh, David Parker Ray to Gacy because, you know, this was before, like, his time too. Um, or, like, in between, kind of, sort of. Um, where did my go? Okay. Gacy typically murdered his victims by placing a rope tourniquet around their necks before progressively tightening the rope with a hammer handle he refers to his act as a rope trick frequently informing the captive this is the last trick if in at least one instance he had read the part of of psalm 23 and he as he tightened the rope around his victim's necks occasionally the victim had convulsed for an hour or two before dying Although several victims died by asphyxiation from cloth rags stuffed deep in the throat, except his two final victims, they were murdered between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. After death, Gacy usually stored the victims' bodies under his bed for up to 24 hours before burying the victim into the cro- in his cross space, where he periodically poured a quick lime to hasten the decomp in his victims. Some victims' bodies were had taken to the garage and embalmed prior to the burial. So when I say embalmed, you guys have to remember earlier when we were doing the uh, the reading of the first part of the, his youth, he was actually out here in Las Vegas as a uh, mortician's assistant. He was actually learning, um, he actually embalmed people while working in a mortuary. So we're going to get into the murders now. So like I said, children... Listener discretion is highly advised. Because this is the this is the murder of Timothy McCoy. Gacy's first known murder occurred on January third, nineteen seventy-two, according to Gacy's later account. Following a family party on the evening of January second, he decided to drive to the Civic Center in a loop to view a display of ice sculptures in the early hours of the following morning. He then lured a sixteen-year-old named Timothy Jack McCoy from Chicago's Greyhound bus terminal into his car. McCoy was traveling from Michigan to Omaha, Nebraska. Gacy took McCoy on a sightseeing tour of Chicago, then drove him to his home with the promise that he could spend the night and he'd be driven back to the station in time to catch his bus. Prior to McCoy's identification, he simply was known as the Greyhound bus boy. Gacy claimed that he woke up early the following morning to find McCoy standing in his bedroom doorway with a kitchen knife in his hand. He then jumped in his bed 
uh, jumped from his bed to McCoy, raised both arms in a gesture of surrender, tilting the knife upwards and accidentally cutting Gacy's forearm. Gacy twisted the knife from his, McCoy's wrist, banged his head against the bedroom wall, kicked him against his wardrobe, and walked towards him. McCoy then kicked Gacy in the stomach, doubling over. Then Gacy grabbed McCoy, shouting, Motherfucker, I'll kill you. He then wrestled McCoy to the ground, to the floor, and stabbed them repeatedly in the chest as he straddled him. So, McCoy was the first of the many murders that he had committed. And he had stabbed him. As McCoy lay dying, Gacy claimed he washed a knife in his bathroom, then went to his kitchen and saw an open carton of eggs with the slab of unsliced bacon on his kitchen table. McCoy had also set the table for two. He had walked to Gacy's room to wake him while uh, absent, mindedly carrying the kitchen knife in his hand. Gacy buried McCoy in his crawl space and later covered his grave with a layer of concrete. In an interview, Several years after his arrest, Gacy's head said immediately after killing McCoy, he felt totally drained, yet noted that he stabbed McCoy as he listened to the gurgulations, uh, gasping for air, that he experienced a mind-numbing orgasm, he added. That's when I realized that death was the ultimate thrill. So, the, the poor kid was just making a breakfast and took the knife and accidentally, like, you know... And Gacy fucking went off psycho. He was fucking paranoid ass. This is the second murder of John Bukovich. Gacy said the second time he committed murder was around January 1974. This victim remains unidentified. Gacy strangled him and then placed his body in a closet before burial. He later stated that the body fluids leaked from the victim's mouth and nose, staining his carpet as a result. Gacy regularly stuffed cloth rags down the victim's throat. Uh, usually, at the time, was the victim's own underwear or a sock and put them in the mouth so it could prevent leakage from occurring. On July 31st, 1975, another of Gacy's employees, John Butkovich, uh, an 18-year-old from Lombard, disappeared. Butkovich's car was found parked on the other corner of Sheridan and Lawrence. With his jacket and wallet inside and the keys still in the ignition. The day before his disappearance, Bukovich had confronted Gacy over two weeks with his outstanding back pay. Bukovich's father, a Yugoslav immigrant called Gacy, who he claimed was happy to help search for his son, but was sorry Bukovich had run away. When questioned by the police, Gacy said Bukovich and his two friends had arrived at his house demanding an overdue pay, but they had reached a compromise, and all three of them left. Over the following three years, Bukovich's parents had called police more than 300 times, urging them to investigate Gacy further. See, not only was, you know, like, he was already kind of like a, a suspect or a person of interest through um, the victim's families, you know, because Gacy was basically the person, last person they were seen with, except with the case of Timothy McCoy, who was actually just a passerby, and he got entwined in his webs. Gacy later admitted that encountering Bukovich is exiting his car on the corner of West Lawrence Avenue, waving to attract his attention. According to Gacy, he approached his car stating, I want to talk to you. Gacy invited Bukovich into his car, then invited him back into his home. All, st- <laughs> all of a sudden, to, uh, you know, 
settle the issue with his overdue wages. Be like, hey, let's, you know, talk about this and settle this out. At his home, he offered him a drink. Ah, sorry, guys. Offered him a drink. Uh, then conned him into allowing his wrist to be cuffed behind his back. So he did the whole fucking handcuff trick on this kid. Uh, he later convinced him to have a set on the kid's chest for a while before he strangled him. He stowed his body into his garage, uh, intending to bury the body later in a cross space, but his wife and stepdaughters returned earlier than expected. He buried the body under the concrete floor of the garage with the empty space where he initially intended to uh, dig a drain tile. So what the drain tile is, is actually, uh, this is like a mortuary term too, is like when you have um, a bombing a body and you're trying to drain the fluids, you know, you gotta put something where the, the, the liquids will go. Or drain into. So, cruising years. Uh, we're not done yet, children. We still have a lot of people to go through. In addition to uh, keeping uh, his business expanded, Gacy freely admitted in 1975 was also where he began frequent uh, frequency the frequency of his excursions for sex with young males. So he was actually uh, cruising for young gay men. He committed most of his murders between 76 and 78 as he largely lived uh, as he lived alone during his divorce during his um, divorce. You know, he did invite some of his employees to live with him, but some of them were caught, were caught weary of what he was up to and split. As you uh, recall, we did talk about two people who were, um, you know, were in the this substance of getting you know assaulted or attempted assaulted by Gacy himself, um, where one actually beat him up and took off, and the other one was just like you know there. All right. Okay, so although Gacy remained. Uh, Egregious and civically minded. Several neighbors um, noticed erratic changes in his behavior after the divorce. This included seeing him keeping in company with young males, hearing his car arrive or depart early hours of the morning, or seeing lights in his house um, switched on and off in the early hours. One neighbor uh, recollected that for several years, the sounds of muffled, high pitched screaming, shouting, and crying had repeatedly awakened her and her son in early hours. She identified the sounds as emanating from a house adjacent from theirs on Somerdale Avenue. So this is what kind of pisses me off is that a neighbor hears someone crying or screaming or muffled screaming. You don't bother to call the fucking cops. Like, seriously, where's your fucking common sense? You hear someone screaming, you call the fucking cops. Muffled screaming, crying, yeah, you're going to want to call the police. You don't think that, you know, he's going to be like, yeah, timid about that shit. And he's, yeah, who knows? Maybe if the the neighbors had, like, you know, some decent common see, they would call the fucking cops. And maybe most of the people that, you know, he was attempting to rape or he was in the process of murdering and raping. Opposite, you know, switch reverse, whatever. And, you know, maybe they would have been able to save lives. But that was not the case. Because they were afraid and did not know what the fuck they were saying. Or could say. 1976. 
One month after his divorce was finalized, Gacy abducted and murdered 18-year-old Daryl Sampson. He was last seen alive in Chicago April 6, 1976. He buried him under the dining room with a section cloth lodged um, in his throat. Five weeks later, on the afternoon of May 14th, 15-year-old Randall Ruffin disappeared while walking home from Sen High School. Hours after Gacy abducted Refit, 14-year-old Samuel Stapleton vanished as he walked from his sister's apartment. So he did what we read earlier, children, is that he would call what he would do what he called doubles. Um, they were buried together in the cross space. Investigators believe both victims were murdered the same evening. So he got his jollies off on with one, waited a couple hours, and did the same with, another, with the other kid. So, need to remind you, these are young men uh, and teenagers that he was targeting. So, that was a 14-year-old. A 15 and a 14-year-old that he had just attacked. He did pull the double with. On June 3rd, Gacy killed 17-year-old Lakeview teenager named Michael Bronin. Bonin. My bad. Um, he disappeared while traveling from Chicago to Wukegan. Uh, Gacy strangled him uh, with a uh, ligature and buried him under the spare bedroom. Ten days later, Gacy murdered a 16-year-old uptown youth named William Carroll and buried him in a common grave in a crawl space. Carroll seemed to have been the first of the four victims known to have been murdered between June and August 6, 1976. Three were between 16 and 17 years old, and one unidentified murder victim appears to have been an adult. So you see he kind of targeted more teens than adults because teens were more likely to be more naive and to um you know be conned into easier shit where adults had common sense and said yeah nah bro i'm good except probably the one that was you know either in his cruising stage or you know curious of some sorts who knows on august 5th 16 year old minnesota youth named james hackinson is last known to have phoned his family possibly from Gacy's house. So this is this could be like a clue. Like he had called his mom or his family, be like, hey, you know, um, I'm over here. Don't worry. And all of a sudden, he's gone. He died in suffocation. His body was buried in a crawl space beneath the body of 17-year-old Bensonville, a youth named Rick Johnston, who was last seen alive on August 6th. So he was still continuously either doing a one-nighter or a double, a double in one night. Gacy had thought to have murdered two further un, uh, unidentified males between August and October in 76. August, uh, I mean, October 24th, Gacy abducted and killed teenage friends Kenneth Parker and Michael Marino. Uh, Marker, Michael, my bad. <laughs> I'm reading too fucking fast, guys. Uh, Michael Marino. And um, the two were last seen outside a restaurant on Clark Street in Chicago. Two days later, 19-year-old construction worker William Bundy disappeared after informing his family he had attended. Uh, he was uh, to attend a party. Bundy died of suffocation. Gacy buried the body between his master bedroom. Apparently, he had worked for Gacy. So, like we said before, he did target his own employees in PDM. And where he will offer, you know, like, you can borrow my car. Or you can borrow this car. Or you can borrow these tools. If you give me something in return. And we all know what that is, children. If you have to connect the dots, let me connect them for you. He would offer them that for either sexual favors, you know. 
And when turn of those sexual favors, he would get violent, and oftentimes he would we would rape, you know, his employees. I mean, it was that one he had taken to Florida with him, and yeah. In December 1976, another PDM employee, 17-year-old Gregory Godzik, disappeared. His girlfriend last saw him outside her house as he had driven her home following a date. Godzik had worked for a PDM only three weeks before he disappeared. He had informed his family that Gacy had him dig trenches for some kind of drain tiles in his crawl space. Godzik car, Godzik's car was later found abandoned in Niles. And his parents and his older sister Eugenia contacted Gacy about his disappearance. Gacy claimed that he had run away from home, having indicated before he had wished to do so. He also claimed that receiving an answering machine message from Godzik shortly after he had disappeared. When he uh, he was asked if he could play the message for his parents, Gacy said, Oh, I deleted it, or I erased it. So he was kind of being a, you know, trying to backtrack and say, Oh, well, he did He did say he, was, he wanted to run away. He was not happy at home, and blah, blah, blah. And then they asked him, Can we listen to a message for ourselves? No, nah, I, I erased it, you know. In 1977, uh, July 20th, 1977, Gacy lured 19-year-old John Sizik to um, his house on the pretense of buying a Plymouth satellite. He later confessed to strangling him in the spare bedroom, claiming Rossi was asleep in the house. And the following morning, Gacy had later sold the car to Rossi for $300. Between 76 and 77... It's known that he had killed an unidentified male, uh, he adult male. He buried him in a cross space between the body of 20-year-old Michigan native named John Prestige, uh, who had disappeared on March 15th, shortly before his disappearance. Prestige had mentioned he had obtained work with a local contractor. See, this is where the, where the law, uh, law enforcement started to connect the dots because each time... The victim had went missing or whether they already had ties with Gacy or working for PDM or they just knew that he was working with a local contractor. So they start connecting the dots, but they don't know what's going on yet. Gacy then murdered one additional unidentified youth and buried him in a crawl space in the spring or early summer of 1977. The exact time of this murder is unknown. On July 5th, Gacy killed a 19-year-old from Crystal Lake, Matthew Bowman. Bowman's mother last saw him in a suburban train station. Following month, Rossi was arrested for stealing gasoline while driving John's Sizzik's uh, car. The gas attendant had noted the license plate, and the police had traced the car to Gacy's house. When questioned, Gacy told him that John had sold him the car in February, saying that he needed money to leave town. A check of the VM confirmed that the car had belonged to him. Uh, the police did not pursue the matter further, although they did perform, uh, inform his mother that his son had sold, her son had sold his car. By the end of 77, it was known that Gacy had murdered six more young men between the ages of 16 and 21. The first of these victims 18, was 18-year-old Robert Gilroy, the son of Chicago police of a police sergeant. He was last seen alive on September 15th. Gilroy lived just four blocks from Gacy, and he was murdered and buried in the crawl space. So he got brazen, and he actually killed a police sergeant's son. He was murdered and buried in the crawl space on September 12th. 12th. Gacy had flown to Pittsburgh 
to supervise a remodeling project and did not turn to Chicago until uh, September 16th. It's because he had, had, was known to be in another state at the time Gilroy was last seen. Decided <clears throat> to support Gacy's claim of assistance from one or more accomplices in several homicides. Ten days uh, after Gilroy was seen, a 19-year-old former Marine, John Maury, disappeared from leaving his mother's house to walk to his apartment. He had strangled Mallory and uh, Mari and buried his body beneath the master bedroom. On October 17th, 21-year-old Minnesota native Russell Nelson disappeared. He was last seen outside a Chicago bar. Nelson was looking for a contracting work. Gacy then murdered him and buried him beneath the guest bedroom. Less than four weeks later, Gacy murdered 16-year-old Kalamazoo, Michigan teenager Robert Winch and buried him in the crawl space. November 18th, 20-year-old father of one tommy bowling disappeared after leaving a chicago bar three weeks after the murder of tommy bowling the um night on december 9th 9th the 19 year old marine david talsma disappeared from after informing his mother he was going to attend a rock concert in hammond he then uh gacy then later uh, strangled talsma with a ligature and buried him in the crawl space close to the body of uh, john mallory so he did actually attack two marines to former marines you know it's jacked up because um a documentary i'm watching now on peacock uh they were talking about um john mallory and his mother had you know these these suspicions you know and there were so many questions that were not answered by law enforcement and the thing was she kept questioning like why is he lying and like that something's not right he would never say this type of thing or he would never do anything like this and Gacy was like well you didn't know your son well enough and I did you know talking all types of shit and it was like it's heartbreaking that you know someone was so ballsy and brazen to be saying that type of type of like you know those type of words to somebody especially if they're in armed forces this is what just like baffles me like how did they get wrapped in Gacy's web. I just want to know, like, how he fucking finessed them into, like, working. He was, like, they said he also just, like, fucking grabbed them off the street or got him so drunk and intoxicated that he brought him home like that. <sighs> Carrying on. All right. On December 30th, uh, Gacy abducted 19-year-old student Robert Donnelly from Chicago bus stop on gun- at gunpoint. He drove into his house where he raped, tortured, and repeatedly dunked Donnelly's head into a bathtub until he passed out. Gacy taunted him with a statement such as, aren't we playing fun, Wait, aren't we playing fun games tonight? Donnelly later testified that Ga- at Gacy's trial that he was in such pain that he asked Gacy to kill him. And Gacy replied, I'm getting around to it. After several hours, Gacy drove Donnelly to his workplace and released him, warning him that if he complained to police, they would not believe him. So, Donnelly was actually one of his just a victim was just a rape victim. He was not murdered. He actually was let go. So I wonder what kind of caused him to say, you know, I'm just gonna fuck with this kid first and like you know let him go, and not kill him. But he is fortunate that he survived. Donnelly, in 1978, uh, reported the assault and Gacy questioned police. Uh, wait, wait, we can't fuck. Sorry, guys. Uh, Gacy was questioned by police 
On January 6, 1978, Gacy admitted to having a slave sex relationship with Donnelly, but insisted that everything was consensual, added that he didn't play the kid, uh, pay the kid the money he had promised him. So the police believed him and filed no charges. So this is another thing I want to kind of bring up when it comes to murders and stuff like that. When they have serial rapists and all that, and they're like bringing up the whole... Uh, it was a master-slave relationship. And it's just like, you honestly believe that of from them saying that, yeah, we're kind of throwing the, like, people under that, or, like, people under the bus who actually live that type, type of lifestyle. And it's sickening and sad that, you know, Gacy would go that far to say, hey, yeah, um, we're, there was it was a, sl- a sex slave thing, you know. I, it was an agreement, you know. It got a little rough. He didn't. He didn't, you know. He didn't say anything at first, and he would have known he was sensitive. You know, he probably like gave the whole X Y Z type of you know responses to the whole situation. So after that, after him being uh, reported or yeah, reported to the police, Gacy then killed 19-year-old William Kindred, who disappeared on February 16th, after telling his fiance, who knew Gacy, that he was to spend the evening at the bar. Kindred was the final victim Gacy had buried in his crawl space. So, like we said, there was only 26 bodies that were found underneath his crawl space, and the rest of them were actually dumped in a river. So, as far as they know, but we got to remember, guys, he did travel in different states. And um, we don't know if he had any other more victims that were statewide or around the country. <clears throat> On March 21st, he lured 26-year-old Jeffrey Ringold into his car. Shortly after Ringold, Ringold, entered the car, Gacy chloroformed him and drove him to his house, where his arms and head were restrained in the uh, pillory device affixed to the the ceiling. Gacy raped and tortured Rignall with various instruments, including a lit candle, whips, and repeatedly chloroformed him into unconsciousness. Gacy then drove Rignall to Chicago's Lincoln Park, where he had dumped dumped his body, unconscious but alive. Oh my god, guys. <laughs> I'm podcasting from home right now, and I have, like, you know, you guys know the deal. I have my offspring and my mom. So my mom's, like, giving some goofy shit right now. <laughs> it's hard to keep concentration. She's doing goofy shit, and my kids are cracking off. <laughs> Alright, guys. <laughs> Back to the, uh, Back to it. <clears throat> so he left Jer- Jeffrey Rignall like unconscious in a park in Chicago after he uh, raped and tortured him. So he basically just like probably like threw like wax on him and whipped him and shit. Shut up. <laughs> Rignall managed to stagger to his girlfriend's apartment where police were informed of the assault. But did not investigate Gacy. Rignall was able to recall through the haze of the night that in the Oldsmobile 
the Kennedy Expressway and particular side streets. He and two friends staked out um, the Cumberland exit of the expressway and the, uh, in April, Rignall saw the Oldsmobile, which he had stated him and his friends followed to 8213 West Summerdale. Police obtained an arrest warrant and Gacy was arrested on July 15th. He faced trial uh, for battery against Rignall. So, you know, he actually went out there. He was assaulted, was he had his body dumped in a park. He managed to make it back to his, his girlfriend's house. The police were called, and he was able to recall certain details. Even though he was chloroformed, he was able to identify certain things like street signs, uh, the pike way, the pike, everything, you know. Um, which is actually amazing because chloroform actually will, will like, is kind of like a you know, a memory wipe to kind of delete some uh, files there. And, uh, here's, uh, yeah, it's just like, you know, it's amazing that he actually survived that, you know, good for him. All right. So, in, by 1978, the cross space had no more room for further bodies. He later confessed to police that he considered sewing bodies in his attic initially, but he had been worried about complications arising from the leakage. Therefore, he chose to dispose his victims off of the I-55 bridge and to the Des Plaines, um, the De Plaines River. Gacy had stated he had thrown five bodies in the river in 1978. He believed one had landed on the passing barge. Only four bodies were never were ever found. So four bodies were recovered. The fifth one never was. Um, the first known victim to be thrown on, off the uh, bridge into the river was 20-year-old Timothy O'Rourke. He was murdered in mid-June after leaving his Dover Street apartment to purchase cigarettes shortly before his disappearance. O'Rourke had told his roommate a contractor on the north side had offered uh, northwest side had offered him a job. So this is where, like I keep saying, guys, there were connect, there were dots connect, uh, were forming, but the police were not connecting. So I kind of want to say, you know, the police were lacking, you know, the wit to connect the fucking dots. I mean, hello, contractor, north side, well, north was northwest side, you know, people had reported him for assault and battery, rape, you know, and they still were not investigating him. There was a big problem there because maybe he had, he had known so many, like, so many people. And, you know, he had people in his... You know, it's not saying that he had, had bought people out. They already were fucking watching him because of his activities. Especially with him targeting young men and teenagers. So, here we go. Um, on November 4th, Gacy killed 19-year-old Frank Langdon. Uh, Langdon, uh, Landingen. Sorry if I fucking butcher your, his last name. Um, I mean, no disrespect. His naked body was found at the De Plains River in uh, Shanahan on November 12th. On November 24th, 20-year-old Elmwood Park resident James Mazzara disappeared while sharing uh, Thanksgiving dinner with his family. Mazzara had informed his sister the day prior to his disappearance that he was going to uh, be working in the construction industry and and doing all right. He was last seen alive walking in the direction of the Bughouse Square carrying a suitcase. So unfortunately, he probably was lured by Gacy and saying, Yeah, I'm gonna I'm working in construction now, everything's gonna be all good. And you know, he disappears. 
then his body is found in the river in Shanahan. And this is the one that takes the cake, guys. The murder of Robert P- uh, Peist. Everyone says his name is Peist or is Peist. I mean, it's Peist or Peist. It's just either how, how people pronounce his name. Robert Peist. Um, Peist is actually how you pronounce his last name. People keep saying it's Peist, Pist, or whatever. It's Peist. So on the uh, afternoon of December 11th, 1978, Gacy had visited uh, the, the Nissan pharmacy and the planes just to discuss potential remodeling deal with the store owner, Film Tarft. Tarf. Well, uh, he was within earshot of 15-year-old part-time employee Robert Peace. Gacy had mentioned his uh, firm often um, firm often hired teenage boys at a starting wage of $5 per hour, almost double the pay Peace earned in the pharmacy. Um, shortly after Gacy had left the pharmacy, Peace's mother had arrived to the store and drove her son home to, so the family could celebrate her birthday together. Peace asked his mother to wait, adding that some contractor wants to talk to me about a job. He left the store at 9 p.m., promising to return shortly. Peace was murdered shortly after 10 p.m. at Gacy's home. Gacy later stated that his house, he asked Peace whether he would, uh, what anything was he wouldn't do for the right price, to which Peace replied that he did not mind working hard. In response, Gacy stated good money could be earned by hustling, although Peace was dismissive. Gacy then did Peace and donning the handcuffs and before saying, I'm going to rape you and you can't do anything about it. As Peace began weeping, he also stated that he had placed a rope around his neck and the boy was crying scared. Gacy admitted to having received a phone call from a business acquaintance as Peace lay dying, suffocating on the bedroom floor. So he actually did really, you know, he didn't he did assault him and he did murder him and this was unfortunately on his mother's birthday which is a sad memory for her to have um this was the last murder that they knew of that he before you know shit hit the fan for gacy um we're gonna get a little bit into the uh, investigation and we're gonna call it quits so we're gonna be this is the part part of the investigation um when Peace failed to return, his family had filed a missing persons report with the D-Plains police. Torf named Gacy as the contractor Peace had most likely had left the store to talk to about the job. Lieutenant uh, Joseph Kozenzak, whose son attended Maine West High School, like Peace, chose to investigate Gacy further. Having spoken to his mo- Peace's mother on the morning of December 12th, uh, Ko- uh, Kozenzak uh, became convinced that Peace had not run away from home. A routine check of Gacy's criminal background revealed that he had an outstanding battery charge against him in Chicago, and he had served prison a prison sentence for, in Iowa for the sodomy of a 15-year-old boy. See, if the police actually had done their jobs right and investigated Gacy, they would have already seen all the red flags popping up. The assaults, the, bad, the intimidation... Um, the sodomy of the 15-year-old boy, and so on and so forth. So with that said, being kiddos, we are going to continue this tomorrow. Uh, join me tomorrow as I continue into the uh, investigation of John Wayne Gacy. Uh, like I said, I be, I, I've been getting my information off of murderpedia.org and also from watching the uh, many documentaries that are on YouTube, Peacock, and Amazon Prime. Um, 
want to thank you guys for continuing uh, your support and listening. Uh, this has been a crazy adventure so far with um, going into John Wayne Gacy. Uh, we didn't really get into Bunny that much because, yeah, we were kind of rushed with that. So, um... I might revisit that soon, but we're going to keep going with the whole serial killer killer series. If you guys have anybody in mind, please uh, don't hesitate to drop a line. You guys know my social medias. Uh, If not, then I will um, most likely just tell you guys. You can hit me up on Snapchat at Cy Edwards. Or uh, look look me up on Instagram at oddpods or the odd broad. And um, that's how you can get a hold of me. So, you guys be safe out there and... Remember, don't get in strangers' cars, wash your hands, wear a mask, and stay away from uh, creepy people. All right? You guys be safe. This is Odd Broad signing out. Bye!